0: Your ideas get rejected so much and it's really difficult to
1: not believe that you are rubbish. I had a lot of friction growing up. I came from a single mum, a father who is an addict. I do feel like in a
0: white corporate environment, there's more mm-hmm. to prove. You've got more to prove. But who
1: said so? Society. Society.
0: is Vina Ditti Annabelle aka Mummy Imperfect and you're listening to the sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect the podcast that celebrates and explores all things womanhood the place where you can get your weekly dose of girl chat where we talk about the things that often get brushed under the carpet and one of those things that probably all of us has felt at some point and have struggled with some more than others is confidence that feeling that we are not good enough at work, we think that other people are better at their jobs than us, they're more deserving, you know, we're not clever enough or, you know, maybe we're not pretty enough to hang in the cool crowd. I'm talking about imposter syndrome, which is, it's loosely defined as doubting your abilities, feeling like a fraud, you know, people question whether they are deserving of accolades, that type of thing. And my guest this episode is a woman who, has basically enhanced her vibe to empower her tribe. I would say she's a speaker and influencer, leadership and performance coach, and a neurodiversity coach, which is going to
1: tell us a little bit more about. It's Remy Ray. Welcome to the Sisterhood of Mommy and Perfect, Remy. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, sometimes when you listen back to all of the things, the little things that you've done, you're like, "Oh, I've done some stuff." <laughs> you have done some
0: stuff. You yeah. have done some stuff, and like. um The the phrase that I use, which is one of my favorite phrases at the moment, is to enhance your vibe to empower your tribe, and I just think that's something that spreads, right? Like, you know, if you empower yourself first and you're sharing it, it's like a chain reaction. And I really think that you are doing that. You have done that.
1: You are doing that. Where? Yeah. Where's where's it
0: all? Where's it all come from?
1: You know, the stuff that you're doing now. I think it was my friction. I had a lot of friction growing up. I came from a single mum. Um, a father who is an addict Um, there's four of us so I have three other siblings and um, I grew up in Peckham it wasn't the nicest of environments if you want and um, I had to figure out a lot of stuff by myself nobody gave me a blueprint or a handbook and so a lot of it was done via trial and error figuring things out slowly but surely not really understanding that my brain worked in a very different way in terms of how I process information. Um, Dyslexia wasn't something that was spoken about. Um, Coming from a Caribbean family as well, it was like you can talk, you know, you can articulate yourself. What do you mean you can't spell properly or you can't read at a steady speed or whatever it may be? And so... had to just figure things out a lot of figuring things out with uh, a lot of bumping of the head and like I said a lot of friction and I think that's what's allowed me now to be able to stand with two feet on the ground because a lot of people are figuring this out a lot later on in their journeys but I figured out some of this stuff a lot earlier on
0: and you know like being from a Caribbean family and having dyslexia and probably needing help like I mean I don't know about your family but Uh, like my husband he's black he's from a Mm. Ghanaian family and I I Mm. know just from looking into that community that when sometimes when there are problems like you know with mental health or like somebody has something that they need help with like Mm. there's often that thing of like oh we're not gonna get it because then people are gonna think that our family uh Needs help, which they do, but you know not yeah. I mean? Like, oh, then social services are going to come around and people are going to judge yeah. us, which, which is not a lie because obviously yeah, it happens, not- <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> it does happen, yeah. So, it's so really a catch-22. Yeah. And um it's lonely. It's very lonely figuring out these things by yourself as well when your family aren't like embracing your difference if you want. You know, I remember being teased by cousins and stuff for not being able to spell stuff. They didn't know any different, but you know, there were adults in the room that should have been able to take notice that there was something definitely different about the way that I operated or the way that i done stuff. Um, and maybe they wouldn't have called it dyslexia, but maybe, you know, somebody should have paid attention in that respect. So I, I felt like my journey was very lonely. Um, and I definitely internalized a lot of that because this world now, which is embracing neurodiversity wasn't a thing then. So, neurodiversity what does that term cover it's a variation of things so it's dyslexia dyspraxia um dyscalculia um and there's a few other elements as well it's a lot to do with how you process things Mm -hmm. um how your mind kind of works and how you process information in a way um and most I guess the most famous of those would be dyslexia we probably all know a dyslexic person whether they've told you or not we know a lot of celebrities now are dyslexic because there's so much information around dyslexia um but for myself the way that I process information is slightly different and I read slower um and my my spelling isn't very great um and and so i was diagnosed and stuff at the age of 19 which is a long time quite late, to go it? yeah it but there are definitely people who have been diagnosed a lot more later than me but at 19 you're like you know you you at uni trying to figure out while mm. while you give a 1000% you're still ending up with the worst grade in the class Um, and that's where somebody picked up on the fact that maybe I was dyslexic and I shied away from it honestly because it wasn't something that it was almost like another label Mm. and um, and I didn't really embrace my dyslexia or my difference until I was about 28 and now I'm about to be 34 so only in the last few years I've come to terms and been a bit more fluid um, and open about my dyslexia but so when
0: you say that you are a neurodiversity coach, so yeah. what are you trying to do? Like just help other people who are in your Yeah, your to space?
1: navigate their space, yeah, and operate from their genius and strength. Because a lot of the time, um, especially when you're in corporate environments, you know, you're kind of pet against each other not really but kind of it's like an undertone that nobody speaks about right somebody else is always ahead or finishing their work first or kind of like um manager's pet if you want I always was like the pet that went to becoming the threat because I just think in a different way and I do things in a different way um and then when you kind of have to teach your manager how to manage you or how to support you, sometimes that can feel very threatening. Um and so I I, I incurred a lot of friction in a professional environments from various managers. I was bullied um at a high-profile uh, business school by management. Um, And I've had a lot of friction. And so me being a neurodiversity coach is really saying, kind of up yours in a way, I'm going to help regardless, because Mm. these people are phenomenal. We're we're phenomenal people and we've got a lot to offer, especially in this landscape of diversity inclusion. um, There's a lot of support that needs to be given to people who have learning disabilities so that they can show up and contribute to the team um, because so many of us disengage yeah yeah
0: and you know you were saying about that you were bullied at work and I know people that it's happened to and that thing alone has knocked so many people's confidence yeah Um, and and you know they don't show up
1: right they don't show up anymore to work they're just working but they're not they're not contributing really they're just showing up doing the bare minimum and that's probably about it
0: and and this is one of the things that makes people think other people are cleverer than me other people are better than me you Mm. know they're getting accolades I'm not for whatever reason yeah Yeah. like I know people who've ended up in in therapy because of it
1: yeah yeah I I probably spend more money now um on therapy and uh self uh, development self-care because I'm kind of trying to heal that trauma of those experiences of um kind of being shunned because I couldn't do something in a very specific way even though I can't like even before a lot of people on social used to try and correct me with my spelling and oh you spelt this wrong or that's wrong and I'm like sis did you get the message like did you get the message (laughs) and they're like yeah I got the message I'm like okay let's move on my brain doesn't work that way I cannot force my brain to work in Mm -hmm. another way um it's not like I'm not an avid reader I am it's not like I'm not somebody who's constantly uh writing documents and things like that I run a business like you can't force me into this different shape it's just not how I operate and you know they say it's one in ten people that suffer with some form of dyslexia um the unwritten stats though is around one in five so I'm not one of one there are millions of out, us out mm-hmm. here struggling with the same issues but society's told us that we're not really welcome and even if we are we're an annoyance you know yeah uh, do you I feel like you are at a
0: point right where you know you you have confidence and mm. it's you're encouraging other people yeah. to be more confident what was that journey like there? Do you, do you think that did
1: you experience imposter syndrome yourself through all of this that you went through I think um, imposter syndrome, hundred percent in uh, like professional capacities. And that's why I I say, like, while I believe I'm a natural entrepreneur, if you want, I also think that a lot of my entrepreneurial instincts came from survival because I was worried about my livelihood if the professional um, experience didn't work out. And so I've always kind of had to try and balance the two. I've always kept a job, but I've always been an entrepreneur. and, And that's just based out of, oh, my God. I don't. What if I go into another environment and I have more friction because somebody doesn't understand me? At least I could possibly lean on this, and so and I've done that since I was uh, 18. So for me now, these conversations around imposter syndrome and confidence, I've already been through a lot of those uh, emotions, if you want, and emotions and the rest of it that comes with like feeling not enough. Um, very very early on I didn't have the language of course at that time um, because a lot of it's still being developed maybe in the last five to seven years right but for the last 11 years I've always balanced the two and where I would feel imposter syndrome in the corporate spaces I would then make up for it as an entrepreneur so I've you know showcased uh Uh, plus size fashion collections in Australia and Nigeria I'm top 50 most influential or one of the top 50 most influential neurodivergent women in the UK Um, I've been nominated for awards and things like that so where I had that shortfall if you want um, I made up for it uh, with entrepreneurship but I've noticed with entrepreneurs right
0: it is that kind of oh it's kind of that spirit inside you like I, I'm going to survive and I need to do something yeah. you know yeah. and it does come yeah. from those situations like you know when I go to India and I see like everyone's got a little hustle and you know <laughs> everyone you look on the side of the road it's not like here yeah. at the side of the road people will just have like a little table they'll so, start some little business exactly yeah, anything they will, anything they will start a hustle and you know even when you talk to people like Alan Sugar when you listen to what he says and yeah. what made him become an entrepreneur it's, yeah. it's this right is that grit. kind of yeah yeah
1: it is it's grit. really
0: yeah. important I think that is
1: so even important. even um Richard Branson I think it's the same like he knew that he wasn't going to be able to operate in the confines of an office if you want under a certain structure and so you know through I'm sure gritted teeth and maybe some white privilege he was able to establish himself this is somebody who is also dyslexic so I think if a study was conducted around how many people are actually entrepreneurs because it's a dream and something they really want to do, as opposed to people like myself who have done it out of survival, it would be really interesting to see um, what the stats would report on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. Do you think that, like, you know, women of colour, like, so I'm Indian, you're a black woman.
1: Do you think that our race has something to do with us feeling imposter syndrome? Yeah, I do I think it's the lack of belonging because I think most of the work that we'll do uh, while we're on this planet if you want is to come back to self to home I think we go out and search for it but really it's inside of us but most of the time we don't know how to connect those dots and things like that and then we go out into society right and then society judges us on so many levels how you look your size um you know how much money you earned did you were you able to get a mortgage by 30 uh you know what kind of car you drive and you know who are you what social circles are you in and what members club are you like we're judged in so many different ways um and we spend a, a lifetime looking uh for home and um I don't think society here is very uh, forgiving that this is our second home, even though a lot of us are born here. Culturally, in our homes, it's a whole different experience that we're having and we're trying to figure out what it looks like when we enter society, if if, if that makes any sense. It's a bit fragmented, but I think it's that search to get back to home, but also it's not really home because you're rejected in a way.
0: But also it's like, I feel like, I wouldn't say that I've suffered from imposter syndrome, but I do feel like in a white corporate environment, there's more mm. to prove. You've got more to prove. But who said so? Society. Well, society. But you. F- I don't know. Like, I've always felt it. But then I have actually been told by my mm. parents, oh, as an Indian person, you have to work harder. I said harder. Yeah. yeah. So, my husband but, but, got told that. He got told that by his yes. Ghanaian dad. I got told it by my Indian dad. That's
1: what people are being told, isn't it? But why, why why, has the standard been set there and who set this standard? It, it, it wasn't us. <laughs> it wasn't us. So, yeah, of, of course, there's going to be some imposter syndrome around that, especially ev- so even if the stats are the same, even if you get a degree, the, the white person gets the degree, even if you have a similar experience and they have the similar experience and the hiring manager is a white woman and the person who is... Um, at the same level as you, if you want, is also another white woman. How do you then decide who gets the job? Relatability. Yeah. yeah. I see you and me, right? So we're always going to have to work twice as hard, even if we have everything. I know black women, Asian women who have had 10, 15 years of experience and still been told, oh, you didn't sell yourself, you didn't sell yourself enough in an interview. But do I have the stats to prove that I can do the job? You know, I've been interviewed myself against others, um, white women predominantly, who have had less experience than me. um, Didn't have the, the, you know, we've had to put a project together, weren't able to... articulate their uh, project properly. The idea of their project wasn't good and still got the promotion over me. Uh, like, how how, how how does that happen? How How is that even possible? And so that's why I've always continued to pursue entrepreneurship because it doesn't matter what you stack up, it, it, it won't change anything. It won't change anything in a society that is hell bent on uh, continuing to live off of racism <laughs> and privilege
0: well yeah like we just saw that like yesterday
1: yeah how much yesterday still, like yeah. ingrained in society right right yeah and then we have reports written by our own that say that there's no racism here it's just madness madness yeah
0: <laughs> I mean in a way like I was reading this thing yesterday that um imposter syndrome right that maybe we shouldn't talk about it as much because you know that there's labels for these things now. We wouldn't have known mm. what imposter syndrome was when yeah. we were going through. It yeah, now. yeah, so, of course. You know, but now there's labels for these things. And and even when you have like women's uh career workshops and things mm. and a men's career workshop, I don't think they're going to be talking about imposter syndrome at a men's workshop, no. are they? But yeah. they will yeah. talk about it at a women's workshop. Yeah. So are we kind of even though we're raising awareness and we're kind of building a sisterhood, okay, sis, we feel the same mm-hmm. and I get you. Are we shooting ourselves in the foot? Should we kind of put
1: our focus onto other things? I don't know. No, I, I disagree because we're women, and I think that the the more that we shy away from our natural behaviors and instincts, it 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 just makes us another number. We're not men. We cannot operate like men. <laughs> Period. You know what I mean? And it yeah. and it's it is wrong for society to make us feel as though we should operate as men to be able to get ahead we Mm -hmm. should be having conversations around periods menopause maternity leave and things like that but it shouldn't um take away from the fact that we should also be having conversation around doing it scared you know speaking up um self-advocacy and um promoting of self and it's not wrong if you are interested in making loads of money it doesn't make you disgusting or yuck i just think that we need to have more open conversations around the complexities of operating at a high level as women um and also the the english language doesn't really support that if somebody is a, a woman is striving for something where is the language to say that apart from boss woman boss which is relatively new language where is the language that supported us to say this is a powerhouse a woman that's a powerhouse we haven't had language to be able to support us with our progression either and I think that that's something we need to be conscious of too
0: yeah and this whole thing with the powerhouse and being a boss and stuff sometimes I find that it's you have to kind of for example as a mum right Mm. I'm a mum I've got three children Mm. you know Mm. if I don't want to be seen I don't want women to just be seen as powerhouses and boss ladies. If they right. shun family, if they're like, I'm not about family, I'm not about kids because mm. that's kind of would make me weak. And then I wouldn't be able to focus yeah. all my energy on this. You know, yeah. I, I feel like it shouldn't be either or, you know, yeah. which sometimes, yeah. but because sometimes that's the case, like unfortunately people would sometimes don't take you
1: seriously if you're pregnant at work. If you're pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I mean. Dinner. That's why we, we shouldn't shy away from the things that make us women um or other, right? We shouldn't shy away from them. We must embrace our differences because that is the only way that true change can happen and and be sustained. The fact that we may hide our pregnancies or don't feel comfortable with speaking to our managers about pregnancy until we're about five or six months gone because we're afraid it's that we right? I, I wore scarves to work. <laughs> I've never wanted scarves <laughs> before. So this is why we'd be like
0: scarves <laughs> draped over me <laughs> made it more obvious actually but I was like no no it's not the right time you know and I'd and, you, know, you know I had a kid a little while before as well I was like, oh, yeah
1: no. yeah I've met women who have um, switched jobs and then became pregnant within the first three months and then stress themselves out so much because they're afraid that their job wasn't going to be available if they then disclosed that they were pregnant it's this is madness, and we need to call it what it is. It's it's madness. <laughs>
0: it is madness. Yeah, I, I yeah. actually feel like I'm going to dedicate an entire podcast episode to that at some point. The fact that you know, work and family, you can have it all. You should have yeah. it all. Yeah. you know, and just it's like not an either or. Record.
1: Absolutely, and just to circle back with what you were speaking about with imposter syndrome. I think imposter syndrome is something that we will have to learn to manage. Um, And I think we all experience it at every stage of, like, our progression, if you want. You you might not recognise it as imposter syndrome, but, like, you may get a new role tomorrow. You've never operated in that role tomorrow. I'm sure before you walk into that door or jump onto that Zoom, you're going to be thinking am I good? Is is this really, do you know what I mean? Like, because it's a new level, it yeah. doesn't mean that that imposter syndrome has to stay, but it's just a new level of an experience that you're having. And so it may feel a little bit shaky because it's unfamiliar territory. Um, And so I feel like we should embrace that as well, because I also feel like those are the things that get your heart beating faster and make you have more ambition or make you think about things in a different way. Sometimes I feel we're we're a bit too stoic. We're just like bobbing along, bobbing along, bobbing along when actually we do need something to like, you're alive, you know, wake up again and and get active again, (laughs) you know yeah
0: do you know what Remy I think that imposter syndrome if you think about it, it sometimes it actually starts in adolescence as well like you know when you're at school and then you're like oh okay these are the these are the clever kids these are the school kids do you know yeah. what I mean that like, I yeah. felt like oh you know I I'm never cool enough to hang around with the cool girls." Yeah. and and even with my kids like I've got three yeah. girls and my older ones that I know that they're they can notice things now like oh that's the popular crowd you know yeah or like oh yeah i, I she made friends with me and she's from the cool crew and stuff yeah. and you just think yeah. you know it's, it is horrible but then it starts from them like oh but I'm not this cool person they are yeah. or they're clever but they're letting me hang around with them yeah and
1: how I'm not on the same level and I don't know how to language I yeah. think yeah language because like I have two nephews and um the language I use with them is very specific. It's very like, you're so smart. Oh my God, you're so cool. Look at you. Like yeah. I try to make sure that I just fill them up with love and admiration. And wow, you could be an astronaut. You could do, so they they feel steady when they enter yeah. spaces that are unfamiliar with them because I, I, I recognize that as well. I felt very lonely at school because I couldn't articulate what my issue was with me giving a hundred percent and still not Mm -hmm. being able to achieve any results. And so I can really, really relate to not feeling like a part of the crowd, even though I wasn't out of the in crowd, I was very much a part of it, but in the same breath, I I still felt very lonely. So even in the in crowd, you could feel alone. I think the best thing that you can do is build them up individually um, and help them understand their strengths and skills Mm. and allow them to imagine still, right. And not, not, worry about comparing themselves to other people yeah. and reminding yeah. them of why they are so important and you know the amazing things they may go on to do in this world which may be very individual that journey may not be collective it may mm. not be one where they uh go through discovery with loads and loads of people it may be very lonely you know or, or isolated if you want so language
0: there is that thing of if you don't follow the whole, go to uni, yeah. get a job, mm-hmm. get a nine to five thing, and you do something yeah. different, people are like, right. oh my God, what are you doing? Because I noticed it. Like I don't have, me and my husband don't have, you know, the typical nine to five mm. office jobs like we used yeah. to. We're yeah. doing our own thing and we're, we're yeah. fine. Right. You know, we're supporting ourselves and, and three children, but mm-hmm. other people, when, when, when it's so funny, cause when, when we started doing that, we came out of the nine to five world, everyone was like, oh my god like what are you doing or like or not even like oh you found something that is earning you money that you're passionate about it was like oh, have you won the lottery or something that you're actually like you know you don't got a nine-to-five and you actually went on holidays. like oh my god <laughs> you not everybody has to be a slave to a nine-to-five yeah. there are other ways it doesn't mean oh suddenly these guys they're dealing
1: drugs you know because they're yeah a the roof over their yeah. head they haven't yeah. got a nine-to-five five. Oh my god yeah. <laughs> it's like, It's It's something that I've grappled with as well, because um, just because of the way I uh, deem security, holding on to a job that wasn't serving me has been one of my biggest challenges ever. Mm -hmm. Because I've always felt a lack of security around money because of how I grew up. And so a lot of the decisions I've made, I've probably overstayed (laughs) not even my welcome, but my exit because I felt that if I didn't my family would say oh my god you've had a decent job how could you possibly leave that to go and pursue whatever you know so that shame and that guilt is something that I have carried heavily through my 20s and and into my early 30s to be honest with you. I I absolutely identify
0: with everything you just said because Mm -hmm. I worked at the BBC for like uh, I don't know like 12 or more years and my dad who has done a nine-to-five his whole life since he retired at the same place, right? Mm. You know, he basically was so proud that I worked at the BBC. And then, I mean, I've still gone back to the BBC as a freelancer afterwards, but freelancer. that whole, that whole, oh, she's got, you know, a stable job at the BBC. It's like, why would right. you leave that? Why would you leave that? Because, you know, he just thought that that was the way Like, oh, it's too risky. It's too scary. You stay there. And I've Society. had to, yes. And I've had to unlearn a lot of things in order to think no you know take calculated risks it's okay yeah. you don't have to yeah. be like just for yeah. the episode the community looks at you and be like she's got a permanent contract mm. at the bbc it's sometimes it's not about that like you said
1: right. you know you, then you do, you end up overstaying when you shouldn't have it's funny because um i pivoted from fashion to coaching and um i loved fashion But the reason why I entered fashion again was because of friction. I left uni in the economical downturn and nobody was hiring anyone. And then there's this, there is a whole load of racism (laughs) that happens in the fashion industry Mm -hmm. that very Mm -hmm. few people talk about. Um, And I struggled. I was a plus size girl, a black girl, (laughs) couldn't read and write very well. Um, And I just felt very othered. And so I decided to go out on my own and create my own collection. Well, it didn't start with a collection. It started with me wholesaling vintage clothing. Um, And I opened my own boutique in 2010, which was Mm -hmm. called Trapped in the Skinny World. And then from that, I moved along to create like um, almost the equivalent of Fashion Week, if you want, but for plus size women. And it did really, really well. And then I had loads of trouble with my business partner and I decided to leave it. And then only uh, in the last, I've always mentored and stuff, but I've never like officially called myself a coach um, until last year, 2020. Um, and that was, my mentor told me, you need to be coaching people. You're always giving gems. You're always speaking to people. People are always coming to you. It's time to start charging. Um, and then I went through all of what that looks like. Right. And then um, I'm paid more now than my nine to five could have ever paid me. Um with very little work and <laughs> it feels phenomenal to be paid for something that a load of people have told you throughout your life wasn't very beneficial or wasn't needed here um and 90% of my clients now are neurodivergent neurodivergent well done to you well done, you. Well done to you that's
0: amazing thank you. honestly it's awesome thank you so I, I would say you are a leader now and I I know you know from what you've gone through it it did take some time to get there but do you think that leadership is something that can be taught or do you think it's something that you're born with
1: I think it's heart right I think you have to have the heart for it um I don't consider myself as a leader I really see myself as somebody who's among the people um and um I don't know maybe that's just the way I've grown up I'm community-led which is not great for business sometimes because you need to be more profit led. Right. But, um, I'm a community person at heart. And I think that that's what makes a good leader. Um, and I'm not really calling myself a leader, but I think if you have a heart for people that can translate very well to how you support and nurture Mm -hmm. others and care for them. Um, and sometimes leadership looks like supporting somebody and allowing them to go on and build their own thing across the road or whatever it may be. So, yeah I think leadership is for many but I think more so you need to have a heart for it it's like being a carer not everybody could be a carer mm. because they yeah. haven't got the heart for it right and yeah. that's how I deem leadership too
0: you probably know this from your experiences right when you're giving a thousand percent you're not yeah. getting what you want yeah what is the trick to staying motivated and keeping at it because I feel like you know being in a creative industry sometimes it's been really disheartening when you know I've written something showed it to people oh no no you know we had another (laughs) we had we had an Indian script before (laughs) and you're not oh my god I've worked really i worked really hard or you know your ideas get rejected so much and it's really difficult to not believe that you are rubbish to keep thinking I'm not actually and some and I'm normally I would say I'm quite good at that I'm quite good at thinking um. No. This is still good. This is still right. good. And um, my ideas are good. And they it's just not for right. them. Or maybe yeah. they didn't feel well that day or whatever. But it's not for them. I'm good. But it does take. It does take a lot to yeah. Not start believing that you are rubbish. Or and I have to be honest. I have sometimes questioned myself and thought, mm. um, ha- is this called self belief? What is in me? Mm. Or is it delusion? Am I, you know, am I being delusional? Am I like these people on X Factor who? Mm are not very good singers, like actually like really, really bad and then go on and they're like the jokes and then they keep trying and they keep trying and they keep trying. That is one question I have asked myself, if I'm honest. Not I'm rubbish, but just
1: maybe this is self-belief or delusional. So the first thing I would say to that is that, you know, this saying that everybody says, find your tribe. I think that is also uh, for us creatives as well. Not everybody's going to love what we do. And we need to also be okay with that as much as we are when somebody is into what we do. Right. Um, The other thing was that I'm quite data driven. I like the stats. So a lot of us, I think that delusional element comes in when we haven't tracked anything. Right. And we're like, but it works. And you're like, sis, you've got nothing to back this up. You need to back it up with something. So if you've created a project and you've got this many people that have said no this is dope this is wicked mm-hmm. as opposed to people saying oh do you know what it's all right it's kind of this but now you've got something to measure it against I think a lot of the time us creatives we kind of create from a like from a heart set, like space right we create from our hearts or our, the pit of our stomachs many of us as well but we also need something to ma- uh, like to to med- Measure the metrics, and a lot of us don't do that. And I think that's also true in your, like, in the workplace too. You've got to track your data. What is the impact that you're bringing to this organization? What is the impact of this project, this creative project that you've created? What is the result that it's going to drive? um Sometimes I don't think creatives like to play around in that space, but I think it's really important, especially if your work is based on whether or not somebody purchases it or engages with it. Um, for your, in in regards to your livelihood, right? And the other one is create your own hype. Anytime that somebody's told me no, especially from an entrepreneurial perspective, I don't care who you are. If I believe in that thing enough, I'll put a thousand percent behind it and I'll do whatever I can to make it, you know, continue to bubble or go forward or whatever. And that's how I ended up showcasing in Nigeria. That's how come I ended up showcasing Australia. It wasn't because I thought at the beginning of my journey that that's where it would end I was like oh you don't like me in fashion you don't like me um at this institute or whatever they say you must go to to be able to enter fashion forget that I'll create my own lane and you know I can happily say that I've contributed to a billion dollar industry which is the plus-size fashion world now based on me sticking to my guns and saying you know what I'll do it anyway I'll do it scared I'll do it without I'll do it with the little that I have I know that this is important I'm coming from a good Mm -hmm. space I'm trying to put positivity out in the world um and so I created my own hype I love that creating your own hype
0: because there is I've noticed a difference there's some people who are like super talented they're driven in their own way and Mm. you know they're very passionate about what they do they'll quietly sit there they'll write plans they'll write scripts they'll they'll Mm. work hard they'll create things and then there's people who are slightly lesser talented let's say right Right. they create hype they create their own hype everyone's like oh my god this is amazing this is amazing and then the the person who is probably more talented in a corner quietly working away they're not being noticed so I just I I totally 100% agree with what you said you have to have that element right of you have to because no one's
1: because not necessarily are people just going to get discovered and then hyped up I think we have more mediums now to be discovered but you still got to show up yeah like you if you didn't show up on social we wouldn't be here now like it's there yeah. is a effect that takes place here it, it just it yeah. doesn't just happen <laughs> you know somebody has to bust a move is what I say like somebody has to take action yeah. for us to be able to sit here and break bread like this um and I think sometimes we're too stiff we're not even arc skin, right? We're not showing up. <laughs> we're not We're not um, promoting what we do. We've promoted it once on social media and then we think we've launched. Like, no, you need to show up a minimum, a minimum of seven times for somebody to even make, take action or take the steps towards maybe purchasing your stuff. Half of us, are sh- especially women and women of color, we're like, you know what? I showed up once this week and told them about what I do and that was it. I hope they all come to buy. No, well, yeah, or or you like,
0: oh no, it's too much. Oh no, you know, I can't be that person. <laughs> it's too, oh no, they're going to think I'm no, too well, much.
1: Right. And so, no, you're going to get all of this Remy Ray, because I need to tell you about what I do. I need to tell you that I serve neurodivergent people. I need to tell you about my back end experience. So I qualify myself. I need to show you how I articulate my value and things of that nature, because this is the industry that I say that I want to be a part of. So, I'm not expecting anyone to hand anything out to me it's it's on me to show up you know so create yeah. your own hype I believe that with my whole heart yeah Remy I just
0: want to say thanks so much for coming on the Sisterhood of oh, Mommy Perfect and it's been really good speaking nah, to you it
1: has I hope we could stay connected now because this yes. has been good yeah, yeah
0: I do too so just give yourself a
1: little shout out just you know your Instagram handle and stuff where people can follow you uh, so if you're looking at, people say that they hear me in the back of their minds on <laughs> when they're about to do stuff because of my social media posts. So if you're somebody who likes honest and very transparent conversations, then follow me over on Instagram. Um, I am Remy Ray, Remy spelt with an I, not a Y. Um, and I'll be moving over to LinkedIn because my offers now are going to be more corporate led to support people who have had similar experiences, so you able to find your linkedin too and it's just remy ray on linkedin
0: yeah that is cool. it oh thank you so much remy and thank you everybody for listening and i hope that um this has been good for you so please share it with somebody please do please subscribe if you haven't already and you know follow me as well on at sisterhood of mommy and perfect on insta or at rena you can write a nice review an Apple podcast because that would help people to find this podcast, which yes. that would be really good. Um, but until next week, bye. Bye.